We're almost there. We're almost there. Counting today, three more weeks in Exodus, and then we're done with Exodus. We will have survived the journey, and well, well, Israel will technically still be in the desert, but we're leaving them there. We're doing something else. What else I'm not telling? Yes, I'm keeping some things to myself. Now, I don't know why that's a big deal. I mean, I have actually the next two years marked out, so I could tell you if I had my chart in front of me where we're going to be on any Sunday— because I'm weird like that. Because when you try to, when you have to outline through books, you have to outline big chunks at a time. So then you try to start thinking it through, and next thing you know, it's like, hey, I've laid out two and a half years. So go team. So technically, my uh, my sermon planning is moved into 2024 as far as what we're going to be doing. So that'll be half the fun. We are almost done with the tabernacle construction, which will technically we are done with the tabernacle construction, but we now have to work with the people in the tabernacle because they get all their lovely garments and clothing as well, which should be very, very fun. All right. Who wants to show off how much they remember from Thanksgiving? Because <laughs> I mention this every year, and nobody ever remembers. Although I better not, I think, I think Jan remembered last time, so I'm putting her on the spot now. You ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Close enough, I will take that. See, in my NASB, his loving kindness is everlasting. But it, depending on your translation, that is fine. And the reason I joke about that is because that was the first um, text I used in Thanksgiving, and I can't even remember which psalm it is now because it just left my head. But that's the constant refrain. We are going to get something like that today. So that's why I remind you of that. The reason why you get refrains like that in your Bible is because for that very reason. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. You just automatically trigger that in your brain because you've been conditioned for it. If you grew up in a uh, liturgical church, so, I mean, think like high church Presbyterian or you grew up Lutheran or something like that, someone will walk up to you on Easter Sunday and say, he is risen. There it is right there. I had never had that. I didn't grow up in church, period. And then I had someone who had a more liturgical background and they said that to me and I kind of looked at them and they were like, you're supposed to say, oh, I didn't know that. And so now I feel like an idiot on Easter morning. I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, you don't even think about that. It just comes out because it's, it's the reason you do that is the same reason for years churches taught kids catechesis. You give them a question and answer and you just literally beat it into your brain. I mean, here's an example of it from your school days. I before E. <laughs> Did you even think about it? No, it's just there. You don't know why it's there. It's just there. Your Bible uses these what's known as mnemonic devices. It just hammers things into your head so that you kind of understand the point. So rules for reading your Bible. We go over this occasionally. I like to rehash them because I know you guys remember all the things that I say all the time. So there's no point in me repeating it, but I like wasting my own time. So you see, behold, you do what? Slow down. Something important is coming. When you see the therefore, you always ask what question? What's the therefore? Therefore, if you don't know what's going on, we can go backwards, we can go forwards in our context to understand what's happening with that. The other one is, when you see your Bible repeating something, that's there by design. God did not have to say it that way. He's done that intentionally so that, you know, something would actually get through that gray matter we got up there and it would make sense to us. You're going to get a picture of that today and we will cover it in the midst of all the details. Sound fun? All right, let's go. Moreover, see right there should tell you something. That, that, does that sound like a new section? When your first word is moreover, is that a new section? 
No, that's continuing. We're continuing the work of the tabernacle, which I do love about that because you'll see why in a minute. From the blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments, which were for Aaron. The work of the tabernacle construction includes the work of the priests. They're just kind of lumped into the tabernacle there. Why? I mean, what good is it to have a place to offer a sacrifice if you don't actually have someone there doing the sacrificing? Would that make any sense? You need that. You need the people as well. Is God surprised by that? No. Now, we get that for the tabernacle, but let's make sure we understand that for the tabernacle as well with things like Isaiah 53. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out himself unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. See, the priest's work in the tabernacle is not a surprise. You erect a tabernacle to offer sacrifice to God, which means you need a priest to offer sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. Why? Because we just need to be offering sacrifices for the fun of it? Because we have nothing else to do out in the wilderness? We're bored and they haven't invented the young and the restless? No, it's because we're pointing to the work that God is doing. The priests aren't surprised by the work that they're going to have to do. God is not surprised by the work that he does. Okay? Always remember this is your reading your Bible. Isaiah 53 is written, oh, if you want to round it off, around 700 years before the birth of Christ. I mean, if you don't know where that comes from, and I read that section and told you that was something Paul had wrote, would you be shocked? It's almost a perfect description of the work that Christ has done. Start at the end of Isaiah 52 if you want some homework this week, and read to the end of the book, and you'll be reading about the work of Christ being promised. Why? Because God is about the redemption of his people. That's why the tabernacle was erected. Christian, that's why this tabernacle has been erected. And by this tabernacle, I mean the dwelling of God, this creation. What is it here for? It's not, it's not, see, this, is, this is the thing we mess up. We assume that God made a planet, stuck some people on a planet, and then they mucked it all up and bogged everything down in the muck and the mire and ruined it, and then God had to come up with a way to fix what we had broken. I always pointed this out to you guys. When you sin, is God in heaven going, what do we do now? I mean, I didn't expect this one. I mean, now what? Hey, Spirit, get your butt over here. We got, we got to figure this out. I mean, look, at, look what they did. Now what? It's ruins. They've ruined everything. God does not play this game. God created a planet. He put people upon that planet so that he could just, so that he could, uh, the word just went right out of my head demonstrate. Wow, where did that word go? Okay. That, it, was, it was just gone for a second there. So that he could demonstrate his grace and his mercy upon a sinful people who do not deserve it. I mean, of course you love people who deserve your love. Isn't that why they deserve your love? Christian, is that us? No. It's not mercy if you deserve it. It's not grace if you deserved it. The sin of humanity is not a shot. That's why Revelation can describe the Lamb of God as slain from, slain from when? 
before the foundation of the earth. This was always the plan. It's not like Jesus is stomping around the garden and even going, all right, somebody find me a lamb so we can make them some pants so I don't have to look at their naked butts anymore. I mean, this was always the plan in the way that this was going to be done. That's why Paul can talk in Romans 5. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gifts by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That was the point. If you want a better uh, uh, explanation of that, read the second half of Romans 9. Paul talking about God demonstrating his attributes and understanding the work of God as a work that is accomplished even from the very beginning. The priests matter because they're the ones doing this work in the tabernacle. So, we've made outfits for them. Here you go. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. You are going to be sick of that phrase by the end of this chapter. Just warning you now because you're going to hear it a lot. Why? Is it possible that as we have gone through Exodus and we have seen the constant reminders of Moses proclaiming what God has spoken, Israel following what God has said, God commanding, that we could possibly forget who the power and the authority and the might behind all of this accomplishment is? Could we possibly forget that? Yes. Yes, we could. We are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Second um, Timothy 3. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. I always love that that's included. You want to undermine a society quickly, what should you do first? Destroy families. Destroy families. You want to destroy a society? Destroy families. You want to destroy your home? Destroy your relationship with children. You want to destroy your neighborhood? Corrupt children. It matters. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. You've never met anyone, ever, typically holding a Starbucks cup, who would tell you, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. (laughs) You've never met that person, have you? No, never. Never in a million years. Yes. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. See, when I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Who's de- who is the deity? I am. I'm holding to a form of godliness where we worship me, but I have removed what? All the power and authority because me don't have any. He does. Should have been a clever way to rhyme that if I'd planned that out better, but I'm not that good. So this is what this looks like. I mean, when I'm reading 2 Timothy, does it sound like you're reading the world? If it doesn't, go to the mall in Christmas time, right? <laughs> I used to do that for fun before I had children and was married and like had responsibilities and things. I used to intentionally go to the mall on Christmas Eve, get coffee and a pastry and watch. Oh, it's all, it was awesome. I watched this one woman in a department store threaten the existence of a child like at least 17 times. 
because that kid would not stop touching things. And I, I was convinced if that kid touched one more thing, that right there, the day before Christmas, she was going to slaughter that four-year-old. She was capable and ready. I watched a fight break out over a pair of on-sale pants between two women because they were like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just sitting there. <laughs> I need more coffee. <laughs> I mean, humanity is a broken and busted lot. Why? Because we refuse to acknowledge the realities of this place. We deny the authority and power that God has had, that God has, even though we know that it's true because we would rather lie to ourselves about the world that we live in. So yes, we would forget in the midst of all of this who the power and righteousness behind Israel is. Therefore, you're going to get thumped in the forehead with it 27 times today. And that's a round off. I didn't actually count, although I probably should have. So let's continue. Uh, can you imagine? He made the ephod of gold, and by the way, because I can never decide if it's an ephod or an ephod, I will end up pronouncing it both ways every time, so just have fun with that. So he made the ephod of gold in blue and scarlet and purple, I just skipped a color, and fine twisted linen. Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen, the work of a skillful workman. All right, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? All this different fabric woven together and you take hammered fine gold and weave that into the fabric. Some of you ladies will be like, why didn't you get me that for Christmas? I mean, now here's the fun part. You ready? We're gonna, this is going to take a massive left turn on you really quickly. So I'm warning you ahead of time. Who would like to venture a guess which country in the ancient world were kind of the forerunners and creators of that process, whereby you would hammer out the gold into a thread and weave it into fabric. You look at that right off the bat. That was an Egyptian thing. The Egyptians came up with this. Now, we said this at the very beginning. We are getting Israel out of Egypt, and we also have to do what at the same time? Get Egypt out of Israel. Should we be borrowing their design features for the clothing of the priests in the tabernacle? I mean, should we really be taking the pagan clothing manufacturing of the evil, wicked Egyptians who are like the prototypes of the poster children for what sin looks like in this book and say, hey, let's do it the way they did it? Wouldn't that be a bad thing? You would think that. And you know what the answer is? Maybe. Maybe. Romans chapter 14. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. We used to understand that in the world, this idea that you are responsible unto God. And then we got this thing called sticking your nose into everybody else's business. <laughs> and we lost that idea. So anyway, I'm just going to let you have that by yourself. He who observes the day, observe it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks to the Lord. He who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Welcome to the messiness of Christianity. And you see an example of it right here. We're going to take an Egyptian technique and we're going to borrow it and put it for our priests. Now, there would be prob there's probably a church somewhere that'd be like, see, this is what we should do as Christians. We should take all the pagan symbols and we should Christianize them and use them in our worship. And that way, we're taking what the culture is corrupting and we're making it holy again. And, and that would be dumb. 
Okay, that would be very dumb. At the same time, is it evil to take something from the culture and utilize it in your world? No. So here's the fun question, Christian. Where's the line? Where's the line? You want to know where the line is? You ready? I will tell you definitively where the line is. Your conscience. And that doesn't help any, does it? Because welcome to the messiness of Christianity. Because you know what? You're going to look around at other people and go, well, my conscience says that the line is here. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, my conscience says the line is all the way over there. And you're like, you went that far? And they're looking at you going, well, you could take another step or two. And you know what you should do? You should stay right where you are. And you know what you should also do? You should leave them alone. I mean, this, if you want a fun example of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the Corinthians that we know an idol has no power. We know that it's nothing, and therefore we don't worry about it. In chapter 10 of the same letter, he tells them that the power behind idols is the power of demons. Well, Paul, which one is it? Is it nothing, or is it the power of demons? And the answer is, yes. Yes, it is. It's both. Because Christian... In Christ, what power does evil have over you? None, which means their power is, it's nothing. So you don't worry. I walk by what I think is right. This is, this is the great speech by Martin Luther when he's sitting at the, the Diet of Worms, which if you don't say it like that is literally the, the, it's technically the Diet of Worms, but if you say it in English, it's the Diet of Worms, which is a good way to remember. Yeah, it's, it's Worms, it's a place in Germany. Yeah, it's Worms. You gotta, you, you gotta curl your lip when you say it, because... You can't say German calmly. You have to say every German word. Like, yes, if you, like, you want to have some fun, go look up like German compared to other languages. Like the word for butterfly sounds like you just told somebody off in traffic. It's, it's hysterical. But anyway, go enjoy that on YouTube. But that's his great punchline. Basically, recant all your writings. I can't do that. Why? Because I'm bound by scripture and my conscience, and it's not wise to sin against one's conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. <laughs> Because he knows what to be true, and he is convinced of God, and the Holy Spirit is guiding him. Therefore, I stand right here. We've lost this as Christians because we want to make everything a big deal. Now look, are some things a big deal? Yes! Like, let's say you come to me and you go, you know, I have this statue that my great-grandmother gave us. It's been in our family forever, and it's of the Virgin Mary, and we'd like to put it in the sanctuary. No! (laughs) No! Why not? Well, one, we don't have statues. That's, like a, but that's not the actual reason. Two, we're not venerating people. It's a reason why Protestants don't have Christ upon the cross, because he is risen. He is not upon the cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So the answer to that is no. Well, I think we need to stop using the Bible. No! Heretic, get out. That's, there are lines we're not crossing here because they are objective truth lines. Who is Jesus? He is fully God, fully man, hypostatic union. That's an essential doctrine because he's not fully man, he doesn't represent it. Because he's not fully God, he can't actually offer anything on our behalf. So that's an essential. You start playing with, well, I don't know if Jesus is God. Get out. Heretic. Well, actually, don't get out, but you don't get to talk anymore. You have to sit down and listen because you don't know anything. And welcome to all the ancient church heresies, Arianism, Eutychianism, Nestorianism, where all questions about who is this Jesus character? Is he a God or is he a man? This is where the church has come down. Fully God and fully man. Why? Because that doesn't make any sense. Because that's how scripture describes him. What's our authority for everything? Scripture. So we have non-negotiables. What I'm talking about is the non-non-negotiables. 
which would be the smart way to say, which would just be the negotiables. <laughs> See what it's like to live in my brain for a second? You wonder how I get anything done. What we're talking about is the negotiable. So would a practice from Egypt that they obviously used for royal garments and for their worship, would you look at that and go, well, that's what the pagans did. Why are we doing that? It's a legitimate question. And the answer could be because it's pretty and this reminds us of the beauty that God has made. And just because they did it doesn't make it evil. So we can use this, we can demonstrate it, and we can use it to rightly worship and honor God and be pointed in the right direction. To which point you should say, cool. Now, if you look at that and say, but I don't know if I can ever forget Egypt, well, then who needs to work through that? You do. Now, this one's easy because who told you to do it like this? Don't ever forget that. God told you to do it like this. So in this instance, we know it's easy. If it's not that God has come down from on high and said, thou shalt do it this way, then we hash it out. We argue. We discuss. But we should do it as what? as members of the same kingdom, worshiping the same God, trying to do this rightly. Which again means there are going to be areas where my conscience says we stop here, and your conscience is okay up there. You know what I need to do? I need to stop right here. And I need to stay right here. And I also need to leave you alone and let you do that. And every time we get a chance to argue about it, we'll argue about it as brothers, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stay here, and you're going to be over there, and we're all going to be okay, because what are we focusing on? Christ and how we honor him right. So there you go. I told you it was going to take a left turn, didn't I? But think about that fun little law frame. Now who wants to get back on the highway and get something figured out? I do. All right. So verse four, they made attaching shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was attached to the two upper ends. The skillfully woven band which was on it was like its workmanship of the same material of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. I told you we're going to hear that a lot. They made the onyx stones set in gold filigree settings. And I know everybody explained to me what that means, and it didn't, didn't stick in my brain, and we're not going to go there again. And they were engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. Okay. Do you remember what the stones were for? The reminder of who are you there for? See, the priest serves on behalf of who? Let's get this part first. The priest exists in the tabernacle because of who? No, because of God. He is God's priest. He's not offering sacrifice to the people. He's offering sacrifice to God. He's doing it as a representative of the people. So he is there for the work of God, but he is there representing the people. Because let's be honest, there's a couple, a couple million people in Israel. Do we really want to like, march everybody through the tabernacle every day making sacrifice? What would we not get done? Anything else. We would not get anything else done. Therefore, we have what? We have a priest who represents us before God. 1 John 2. Little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And I always have to cover this because I know I define it every time, but I don't assume anybody remembers. Propitiation, to turn away wrath, to appease. This is why we don't follow what's known as the ransom theory of the atonement, where Jesus is basically bribing Satan to give up humanity, because Satan doesn't have that kind of authority and power. Who does? God. What Christ's work is accomplishing is the turning away of God's wrath. The fancy word for that is the propitiation of the wrath of God. Christ's offering is to God. Who's the priest offering to again in Tabernacle? He's offering to God on behalf of the people. What John is explaining here is what is Jesus doing? The exact same thing. 
So, verse 7, he placed them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Here it is, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, just in case you forgot already, or in case you already forgot already, because that's how this Department of Redundancy Department works. So, let's continue. He made the breastpiece, the work of a skillful workman, like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. Keep throwing that in there. Just in case you forget what everything looks like and how ornate this all is, you keep getting that reminder. It was square. They made the breastpiece folded double, a span long and a span wide when folded double. All right. Verse 8 does leave one little thing out here because it says that he made a breastpiece, the work of a skillful workman. If you go back to Exodus 28, why is this breastpiece there? You shall make a breastpiece of judgment. Why is the priest offering sacrifice? Because the people have sinned. He's offering on behalf of the people to turn away the wrath of God because judgment abides upon sin. How much of sin does God's judgment abide upon? All of it. Welcome to why the work of the priests matter. Welcome to why they're doing this work. How often? How many days a week is that priest getting up and going and offering sacrifice at the tabernacle? The answer is yes. <laughs> we struggle because, oh man, I got a shovel this morning. The priest is like, I got to go kill some more critters this morning. I mean, every single day. Not some of them. All of them. There is incense to be burned, there are animals to be offered, there is blood to be sprinkled, there are portions to be divvied out, there is something to be done in the work of the tabernacle every single day. Which is why fun analogy, well not, not really an analogy, fun little uh, notice. All the, all the furniture that was built in this tabernacle, what was the one thing that you would have wanted built that they didn't put in? <laughs> There's no chairs. Why are there no chairs? Because you got work to do. That matters because this priest and every priest that's going to come after him is going to go into that tabernacle and have what? Work to do. It will never be done. Where is Christ? No, 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 no. Where, where, where is Christ? Where is Christ right now? See, we, we make a big deal that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what we should make a bigger deal out of? He is seated at the right hand. When does the priest get to sit down? When his work is finished, it is finished. Therefore, the high priest can do what? Sit down. Same example going on here. This is why he's got a breast piece of judgment. That work is done on behalf of a people who the wrath of God abides upon. You are doing an important work for an important deity every single day. Let's continue. They mounted four rows of stones on it. The first row was a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. I like how they've put all the ones that are hard to pronounce all in a line. Isn't that helpful? And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Is it beryl? I don't... Never mind. Don't correct me. This, <laughs> they were set in gold filigree settings when they were mounted. The stones were corresponding to the names of the sons of Israel. They were twelve, corresponding to their names, engraved with the engravings of a signet, each with its name for the twelve tribes. My favorite part is if I was reading it in Hebrew or Greek, I could probably pronounce it just fine. You put it in English, and it's like... <sighs> the joys of my mind. This too, though, a reminder of what? Just in case you forgot when you got dressed that you're there on behalf of the people, you're going to put your next layer on and be reminded of what? That the judgment abides on who? The you and the rest of those people. Exodus 32, this is the work of a priest. Moses returned to the Lord. Remember, what, what, what bad thing happens in Exodus 32? 
I'll help you out. Exodus 32 is the chapter when Moses comes down the mountain the first time. So what bad thing happens in Exodus 32? Smashing the tablets because of the golden calf. So remember, Moses is mad, Matt. He's chucking the tablets at somebody because you are never, until I get to heaven and God tells me I'm wrong about this, you are never going to convince me that Moses wasn't aiming at somebody when he smashed those tablets. Because I know me, and and Moses had a bit of a temper as well, I can imagine. So, you know, I can't just be like, I have these tablets and you people are doing that. It's not like he's throwing, no, he was just like, (laughs) and if he did drop them straight down, the only reason he did that was so he could pick up the chunks and throw those easy. (laughs) Werner's like, yes, more throwing. So you're never convinced me otherwise. So remember, he throws down the tablets, he takes the golden calf, he melts it down, grinds it into the powder, pours it in the water, and makes him drink it. (laughs) Which is... That's, that's like, you know, Yosemite Sam on steroids. It's because of Francis. Drink it. See, drink it. And, you know, everybody sat there was like, he's mad mad. So, anyway. After all of that, if there was ever a time to go up to God and be like, if you want to zap some people, I'm here for that, right? Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from the book which you have written. That escalated quickly. I mean, they deserve it, but if you're not going to forgive them, then don't kill them, kill me instead. In other words, Moses offers himself as a sacrifice in place of the people. That's what the stones are a reminder, that the priest is doing this work on behalf of the people. He is offering a sacrifice in their place. And yes, what are all of these tabernacle sacrifices supposed to point to? They're not supposed to point to a priest, not this priest. They're supposed to point to the priest, the one who is now seated because his sacrifice is good, because his sacrifice covers sin forever. That's what this work is pointing to. That's why this is so important. This is why the reminder is given, because God cares about this, because this is the work that he has planned from before the world has been made, so that he can redeem a people, satisfying justice, satisfying mercy, satisfying grace, love, righteousness, wrath, all of those things completed in the work of Christ. So we'll continue. They made on the breastpiece chains like cords of twisted cordage work in pure gold. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. Then then they put the two gold cords in the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. They put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. They made two gold rings and placed them on the two ends of the breastpiece, on its inner edge, which was next to the ephod. Furthermore, they made two gold rings and placed them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod and on the front of it, close to the place where it joined above the woven band of the ephod. <sighs> Did you get all that? Did you care? <laughs> no, you didn't. Be honest, you didn't. So why is it there? Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name. And because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. It's there not because you cared, but because God cared. And the same God who cares about that level of detail is the same God who is operating in the lives of his children even to this day. It is the same God who is caring about his planet, organizing his creation, and building his kingdom. This is why I tell you, how many accidents are there in a universe ruled by God? None. None. 
God's not looking down and go, oh, they stepped on a Lego. That, oh, man, that hurts. Don't you hate when that happens? It's like, of course they stepped on a Lego. They needed to learn to clean up after themselves. <laughs> There's consequences to decisions. There are things being played out in life day in and day out, and they are all the work of his hand. He is organizing. He is judging. He is discipling. He is disciplining. And what we are supposed to be doing is thinking in these terms so that we understand what? What he's doing, why he's doing it, and what do I do in response? This is your life, Christian. This is what you do. This is why I always joke, you know, I mean, how many times have you said this? I got to plan ahead because if I plan ahead, the thing that I'm planning for won't happen. If I don't plan ahead, what's going to happen? <laughs> why do you say that? Because you've learned over time that when I'm not prepared, everything seems to fall apart and I'm not prepared for it. That's a lesson. Why would God allow this thing? Why would God do this thing? Because there's a lesson. There is something that you're learning, something that you are growing in. If the point was just to get you perfect, like right now, could he do that? Could he call you home? Best thing to do for you would be to what? Save you, kill you, and get you out of here before something bad happens to you. Why are we still here? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because there are lessons to learn, people to disciple, things to work through, and sanctification to grow in to understand the grace and the mercy and the wonders of God as we grow in his knowledge here and now. This is part of the thing that we don't understand. We look at the, we look at the sin of the world. <clears throat> we look at the things that we have to, quote-unquote, deal with in the world that we don't like, and we go, <sighs> think about what kind of a blessing that is. Think about what kind of a mercy it is to know the truth in the midst of darkness to know what is right in the midst of everything that is wrong, to be able to see when everything else is shrouded in mystery, and to know what's going on, and to be able to have an answer and explain it to somebody. I mean, how many times when you were in school, did you just love not knowing stuff? That's why you were a math teacher, be like, who wants to come work out this problem on the board? If you knew the answer, were you hiding in the corner? You, you, you wanted to do what? <laughs> And that's why everybody hated that kid. Because <laughs> you, you always had one in your class who the teacher's like, does anybody besides that one know the answer? He's like, me, me, me. Christian, that's supposed to be us in the world. I don't know what's happening. Ooh, pick me. Choose me. I know what's happening. I know who's behind this. I know what's going on. I know what's wrong, and I know how to fix it. That should be our attitude in the world, because Christian, we do. This was supposed to be Israel's attitude amongst the pagan nations. Don't turn into the pagans, but show the pagans what life lived unto the glory of God looks like. Show the pagans what life forsaking sin and trusting and honoring in God actually looks like. Excuse me. What does it accomplish? What will it build to? How do we actually get there? Why? Because the work that Moses was willing to do is the work that Christ has actually done. Done. First Peter 3. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We're clean. We're righteous. We're holy in his sight. And we are being sanctified. And we are cleansed before him. And we are walking in his ways. Why? Because this is the work that he has done and the work that he is doing. Therefore, we can proclaim his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his love and the coming judgment and the wrath that abides upon all sin, because they're all part of the same 
work. And by remembering all that he's doing, we remember all that he has done for us and all that he will do for those who put their trust in him. So verse 21. They bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue cords so that it would be on the woven band of the ephod and, on the, and that the breastpiece would not come loose from the ephod just as the Lord had commanded Moses. <laughs> just in case, you know, in case you were wondering where they came up with this idea or what was going on, you get to be reminded yet again. Christian, remember that. You walk because of the work that Christ has done. You stand because of the work that Christ has done. You know because of the work that Christ has done. The temptation in the world is to think, who's the smart one? Yeah, I know, not because I'm smart, but because he is eternally wise. I have a solution, not because I'm brilliant, but because he is eternally good and has provided solutions. See, there's a better way, not because I found it, but because God has demonstrated it, and by his grace and mercy has shown me, and I can follow rightly. So let's continue. Then he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And the opening of the robe was at the top in the center as the opening of a coat of mail with the binding all around its opening so that it would not be torn. They made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material and twisted linen on the hem of the robe. Right? Nothing really weird about any of that, but there are two little things in there that should kind of jump out at you. So the robe is blue, but it's also got... Um, blue and purple and scarlet on the little pomegranates on the bottom. So it does have some color, and let's be honest, a blue robe on top of everything, would you miss that dude walking across camp? You'd be able to see him coming from miles away, especially if the sun caught it just right. Be like, okay, can we turn down that coat a little bit? Now, let's be honest, I'm, I'm putting this on a little bit thick because what do you immediately think of if you think backwards in your Bible history? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Genesis 37, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, and because he was the son of his old age, he made him a very colored tunic, the, or is what the 70s said, the coat of many colors, <laughs> his technicolor dream coat. <laughs> I've never actually seen that. I can't bring myself to watch it. I don't know if it's any good or not, so I'm not recommending. <laughs> all right, Vern recommends it, so if you have a problem with it and it's evil, take it up with Vern. It was his fault. <laughs> Now, why is that important? Well, who's, who's the first deliverer of Israel? Joseph is. I mean, outside of God, we know that one. But I mean, Joseph is, because they're all going to die in famine unless they do what? Get their rear ends down to Egypt, and what are the odds the Egyptians are going to take care of them? Pretty small, except for the fact that their brother is basically running the joint. Yeah, that should be your first connection. Your second one should go in the other direction. He made a robe of the ephod and the woven work all of blue, and the opening of the robe was at the top in the center as the opening of a coat of mail with a binding all around its opening so that it would not be torn. John 19. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for, to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one, one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garment among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. See, Jesus is pointing you back that he is a priest, wearing the garment of a priest. It may not be the blue with the pomegranate, but that simple little thing is a reminder that even the priest's garment 
is a demonstration of the work that Christ will perform. It is a reminder that even that little detail, that we're going to make the priest's robe out of one single piece so that we can show you that the high priest's outfit is in one single piece so that you can make the connection, make the connection that the offering of Christ is a fulfillment of the promises of the offerings of the Old Testament, that the work of the tabernacle is the work of turning away the wrath of God because the work in the heavenly tabernacle of Christ is the work of turning the wrath of God. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe, alternating a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe for the service, just as the Lord commanded Moses. I told you you'd be sick of that by the end of this. Now, this is a little odd because Exodus 28 told us, it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place. The bell's ringing. I just lost my spot. And he leaves the holy place so that he will not die. Imagine telling that to somebody, say, here, the bells are there so you won't die. Like, put that on your kids and then turn them loose. You know what they would be doing as they walked around? They'd be doing like a hula dance. They'd be like, I'm going to make sure these bells do not stop. Like, do the bells keep Aaron from dying? No. Now, if the bells stopped, do you think everybody kind of went? And this is why I was not an Israelite priest. Because every time you let me go in there, do you know what I would do? I'd be like. Trying not to, trying to move without making the bell like every single time. Everybody be asking, I don't think he made it. And my wife is laughing because she knows. She knows I would. Waiting for God to strike me dead any moment. Be like, eh, hadn't happened yet. I gotta <laughs> yeah. I don't blame Nadab and Abihu a whole lot. I kind of understand. Be like, ooh, this looks like a good idea. And then th- that was the end of it. And there they went. So, no. Of course, this is, this is not some de- uh, demented version of It's a Wonderful Life. Every time a bell rings, the Israelites don't die. That's not what's going on here. It's a reminder. Again, the fact that the bells are ringing. I have a song in my head right now that I... Uh, sorry. So I'm suddenly picturing the Red Baron. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, now Connor's singing it. So every time the bells are ringing, why are they ringing? Because the priest is walking around doing stuff. What's the priest walking around and doing? The work of turning away the wrath of God. It's a reminder. The bells don't save. The bells are a reminder that who has saved? That God has saved. That God has covered. That the wrath has been turned away. It's a reminder that God is accomplishing. That's why Paul can tell the Philippians, Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what the priest is doing. It's a reminder, as you hear those bells, it shouldn't be like, oh good, the priest is doing his job. It should be, the priest is doing his job which means God has not forsaken us, which means God has not forgotten us, which means his mercy is still abiding. Which means when I leave, how should I live? should be like, oh good, the priest did his work, I can do whatever I want. No, it should be God has redeemed us. God is sanctifying us. God has cleansed us. Therefore, I wish to live like I'm cleansed. I wish to live like I'm clean. God cleaned me and rescued me from that destruction. Why do I want to go back and visit? <laughs> that would be dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. That is always that rule is always in effect. It's still in effect even in 2022. It will be in effect until the end of time. I have that put on my tombstone. <laughs> Actually, my wife will have put on my tombstone. He did a dumb thing. <laughs> you know she's going to, and we all know I'm dying first. So, because <laughs> she's probably going to kill me. But <laughs> just know it wasn't an accident. Okay, there you go. 
You say that now. No. <laughs> so this is a reminder. So let's continue. They made the tunics of finely woven linen for Aaron and his sons, the turban of fine linen, and the, uh, the decorated caps of fine linen, and the linen breeches of fine twisted linen, and the sash of fine twisted linen, and the blue and purple and scarlet material, and the work of the weaver. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and inscribed it like the engravings of a signet, holy to the Lord. Nobody else has a hat that cool. You, again, could you miss the priest wearing this getup in the camp? No. Why? Because they are set apart. Why are they set apart? Because they're doing a special work. What is that special work? It's the same reason they won't have an allotment in the land. They won't have a portion of ground to call their own because they will call God their own. And they fastened a blue cord to it to fasten it on the turban above just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Smacking you in the head with it every time you turn around, just in case you forget, you can't forget that who's doing this work? God. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded, so they did. <laughs> now, this is good news. How often is that true of Israel? God commanded, and they did it. <laughs> I mean, this is almost like an excuse to spike the football. Be like, yes, we got one. And yet, for all of that turning, for all of that grumbling, for all of that complaining, for all of their whining, for all of their sinning, they're still what? They're still there. They still have a tabernacle. They still have sacrifices to turn away the wrath of God. Christian, this is good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. Each man must be careful how he builds, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's a reminder that Christian, can you have a rough go in life and make it to the end? Yes. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is dragging you by the feet, and you keep hitting your head on every pothole. Boom. This is why I encourage you to walk in sanctification. If you are Christ, he will not forsake you and he will not forget you. You will be grieved for the life you are living if you are not living according to the precepts of God. There are some of us that are stubborn, amen? I mean, you have never experienced sin, right? Where you have been like, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't go this direction. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. I know it's going to end badly and I'm going to hate myself for it. And you did it anyway, right? You've never experienced that ever, any of you, right? No, not, not in the least. More than once, right? <laughs> because let's be honest, how does the fight against sin typically go? You'd be like, no, that's a bad idea. Woo, oh, that was dumb. Yeah, I just looked at that. It was a bad idea. Why am I doing it again? And oh, that was dumb. And then over time, you start fighting. and That's the Holy Spirit dragging you around by your feet, and you're hitting your head on every bump as he's dragging you along. You're going to get there, but let's be honest. Was there a better way? Yes, this is why I encourage you as often as I do in sanctification. I want your life to be the path of a better way. You know who else's life I would like to be on the path of a better way? This guy right here. And you know who else needs to hear this all the time? 
this guy right here. Because we are a broken, stubborn, sinful lot, and we make mistakes, and we stand there and go, that's why this encouragement is so important. Because the temptation is to, go, is to look and to, it's to stop fighting. It's to walk away because God couldn't possibly keep putting up with me. I don't even want to put up with me. And I'm me. Can you imagine his holy nature trying to put up with me? The answer is yes, I can. Because this is the example he gives for his children on a daily basis. This is the example he shows on day in and day out. Every single time that Israel, for all of its sin, for all of its turning away, God literally dragging them across the wilderness to bring them to a good and perfect land. And then preserving them within that land, despite their sin, despite their idolatry, despite their paganism, despite everything that they did, God preserving them because this is the patience and perseverance of God at work on behalf of his children. Christian, this is a comfort. So that when you wake up on Thursday, it won't be Tuesday this week, it's going to be Thursday, I'm calling my shot, you ready? So when you wake up on Thursday, be like, I cannot believe it. Once again, is God in heaven surprised? No. So we're doing, he's doing a little bit more pulling. You know what you need to start doing? A little bit more walking. This is the comfort, is I can do that work. Why? Well, because one, I care, which means the Holy Spirit hasn't left me. That's one. Two, he's been dragging me this far, which means he still loves me and cares about me and is worried what's going on. Therefore, I wish to actually honor the work that he has done. I don't want to return to those things, and I know you don't. I don't want to return to those things. Therefore, I need to war against them. Why? Because my war will actually be successful. Because where is our high priest? How is he positioned? It is finished. He is seated at the right hand. The work is accomplished. That sin that we're fighting against has already lost. That's why Paul can tell, the, uh, to tell you the idols have no power, even though they're demons. <laughs> because for the pagan, they're demons. For us, it's... You have no authority here. Because Christ dwells, and the Spirit lives, and God has overcome. Therefore, we can walk. So, let's finish this up. So they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the coverings of ram skin dyed red, the coverings of porpoise skins and the screening veil, the ark of the testimony and its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its arrangements of lamps and all its utensils and the oil for the light. And the gold altar and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the veil of the doorway of the tent, the bronze altar and its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the hangings for the, for the court, its pillars and its sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and garments for their sons to minister as priests. <sighs> I'm telling you, I, I did. I was breathing in the middle of that, so discovered how I can speak while breathing it at the same time. It's a useful skill. <laughs> There you go. It's an accounting process, as if we haven't covered this all twice. When God told Moses to do it and when they actually did it, we're reminded of everything. Why? Because we're a stubborn people. And you know what? If you weren't paying attention the first time, you should look at all that list and go, what is all that stuff for? And then go read what it accomplishes and what it means so that you can be reminded of the work of God and the details that he has worked through so that you can be reminded of the work that Christ actually fulfills, the work that he accomplishes. So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They did it. Just as the Lord had commanded, this they had done. So Moses blessed them. Welcome to the pattern for Israel for the rest of the Old Testament. I've said this before. 
You want to understand your kingdom years and your prophets. Understand Exodus. Understand the starting point and what it was supposed to look like. And then when you see what it does look like, you'll realize why the reactions are what they are. Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. That's the pattern for Israel. So when it goes wrong, it's because they looked at this and went, no, we're good. We're good. We got a better way. They have a form of godliness, but have what? Denied its power. Now, why is this such a big deal? Christian, if you do everything right, first of all, you didn't. All right. But second of all, does that mean nothing bad will ever happen to me? Because isn't that what Moses just said? One, you're not Israel. Two, you didn't. Always remember that part. So why is this stuff happened? Because you need to grow. You need discipline. You need to trust. You need to walk. You're not promised the beautiful things now because the beautiful things are in eternity. They're in the eternal kingdom that God has constructed. And our sin has consequences in the here and now. So does that mean it doesn't matter what I do and I just do whatever? If you can do that, we have a bigger problem. See, why do you walk? Because of the work that Christ has completed. Why do you care about your sin? Because of the work that Christ has completed. Why are you concerned with your life? Because of the work that Christ has completed. If you can look at me and ask me, well, does it matter how I live? Then I start wondering if Christ has completed that work in you. Which is again why I tell you all the time. I'm worried about my sin. I keep losing this battle, but I keep trying to fight. That's good news, Christian. Celebrate that. Enjoy fighting. <laughs> yes, your pastor just told you to enjoy fighting. Why? You're going to do it until God delivers you home. The joy is in the fact that we war with the elements and the weapons that God has provided. The joy is in the fact that as I look at the sin that's dragging me down, I go, you've lost. I'm fighting you and I may not kick your butt today. But Christ has already whooped you and by one day it's going to be gone. And then I will be shed free and it won't matter any longer. Paul uses this example. The, um, the example of a woman giving birth. I mean, let's be honest, ladies, um, for those of you that have had children, I mean, I ask you, how much did it hurt? See, it's amazing because you know, most women end up being like, I'd do that again. Now at the time, it's, ah, you did this to me, and they're strangling people and bending metal bars, and it looks like a strongman contest. <laughs> Don't look at her. <laughs> and yet they're willing to do what? Yeah, I'd do that again. Start wondering, it can't have been that bad. No, it was that bad, but there's a reward, there's a joy, there's a blessing. Christian, that's the fight. That's the fight. Every day, get up and go to war. And the fact that you're willing and the fact that you're able is a reminder that God has not forsaken you. That you're going to lose, you're going to get knocked down, but that his grace and his mercy covers you. And that by his grace and his mercy, he's going to drag you across the line. Again, though, do I want to be drug across? No. I want to walk. I want to be victorious. Why? Again, I ask the pagan that. Do you care about your sin? What's the question they ask back? What's sin? I don't care. You care because God has already accomplished. You walk because he has already redeemed. And you are now living up to the calling that he has placed. 
That's the new you. You don't need a new year for that. You don't need black eyed peas or collard greens or whatever it is you eat in the Midwest. Pennsylvania, it's uh, pork and uh, cabbage. Don't ask me why. I don't know what the Midwestern thing is. The South, it's black eyed peas and collard greens. In the Mid-Atlantic, it's pork and cabbage. I don't know what it is here, so you guys can figure that out and tell me later. You don't need that. You need Christ. Because he's the one who transforms. He's the one who changes. And then he's the one who empowers. The fact that you're fighting means that he is telling you, hey, you, right there, put him up. Because that's where you start to fight. That's where the battle is. And that's what Israel is supposed to be about. Because they're supposed to be warring against sin. And they're a reason they can have victories. Because all they need to do is look and see what? There's this dude with this bright tunic on and this crazy turban. And there's smoke coming up. And there's animals lowing that were there yesterday. And they're not going to be there tomorrow. But there's going to be more animals tomorrow. Because they're turning away the wrath of God. Which means what? We as God's people are being cleansed by God. As we follow what he has commanded commanded us which means we can have victory because God is with us, because he has not forsaken. Christian, we don't have a tabernacle because you are the tabernacle because the high priest has completed his work and has seated at the right hand of the Father and it is done. Therefore, we are new. We are changed and we walk because of who he is and what he has done. This is why I tell you all the time, remember what? So they did all this just as the Lord had commanded. What's the power behind Israel? God, Christian, what's the power behind you? You know that, but do we remember that and live that out on a regular basis? Now, the reason I ask you that is because that's where the rubber is really going to meet the road and where the fight is really going to be held. Because you know what the temptation is? Well, this is smart. This is wise. See, I had a perfect, perfect example this morning. Jada was complaining about having to wear boots. They didn't go with her outfit. Child, put the boots on. She has my boots here because she can take the little slippers she's wearing and with her feet, she can fit in my boots with those on. Why do I need boots? Because what happens if we just get stuck in the side of the road and you need to stand in knee-deep snow? Do you want to be in your little slippers or do you want to be in my, my tall boots? I'll bring the boots. <laughs> I shoved a shovel in the back of the car. Why? Because I know the road I'm going to go down is going to be all blown over with snow. And what are the odds that I'm going to do something stupid and end up in a ditch and have to start digging and figuring? It's a good possibility, right? You know, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> now here's the problem. Is all of that good wisdom? Yes. I missed it. I missed it. Why do I need to wear my boots? Because we have them. God has provided and it would be a rejection of the provision of God to not put those things on and to not prepare. Why is there a shovel in the back of the car? Because we have a shovel, and I may need it. And God has provided us the blessings of a shovel in this miserable weather, and it would be a lack of stewardship and rebellion against him to forsake it and leave it at home. See, I don't think like that, because I forget what a lot of the time. What's the power behind Israel, Christian? God. What's the power behind you? Start thinking through life as an offering unto God. Start thinking about things as stewardship and provision, not wisdom and smart in the world as opposed to dumb. Now look, what's the rule? Okay, that is always in effect. But if that's as far as it goes, why don't we do dumb things? Because God has gifted us a Holy Spirit and a brain to think through, to know the truth and have the truth set us free and to walk with wisdom in the world. And to forsake that is to not forsake wisdom, but to forsake God. Always take the extra step into what you're doing because then you get to the why you're doing it. 
And as we walk in that, we now are, cha- are, are challenging our brains and challenging ourselves to actually walk in all avenues of our lives as an offering to God. That's the Christian walk. That's what the tabernacle is supposed to be. That's why it's in the middle of the camp. No matter where you are, you're going to see that smoke and you're going to hear the this, this celebration and people are going to be talking about the bells. and Everything's going on because your entire life is a reminder that we exist because of God. Christian, that's the light we shine. We exist because of God. We walk because of God. We are redeemed because of God. We have wisdom because of God. Explain that to you, to your spouse, to your friends, to your children, to your nieces, to your nephews, to your neighbors, because there's a reason why, and there's a reason how, and they both originate in the same place. And if we forget that, we've missed the power, we've missed the authority. We have a form of godliness, but we've denied its power. May it never be for his people. May we think, may we understand, may we do the work that the Spirit is guiding us so that we be his people rightly. Let's pray.